go rebuild my church, which as you can see, is falling into ruins. These are the words spoken to St. Francis of Assisi from an image of Christ on the crucifix at San Damiano in 1205 AD. These same words inspired Peter Doan, the host of the program you're about to hear. Peter challenges all of us to rebuild, not the brick and mortars of our church buildings, but our personal faith and relationships that will rebuild and strengthen the church. Now here's today's program. Hi, I'm Peter Doan. And I'm Leslie Doan. You're listening to the radio broadcast, Go Rebuild My Church. In this broadcast, we explore ways to put into practice the words spoken to St. Francis of Assisi by our Lord Jesus and how this theme is relevant as we seek to bring renewal to the church today. Our passion for renewal was ignited when we came home to the Catholic Church 14 years ago, and that's when we heard the call to rebuild and joined efforts with many other renewal movements within the church. You can learn more about our journey home and our lay apostolate dedicated to renewal in the Catholic Church by visiting our website at www.catholicdiscipleshipministries.org. Our prayer is through the ministry of this radio program and our lay apostolate, we can provide pathways for you to join the rebuilding process and experience renewal. We want to welcome listeners joining us for the first time today. In our broadcast, we look at the sacred scriptures, excerpts from the catechism, the lives of the saints, and the teaching of the church as we seek to challenge individuals, families, and local parishes to rebuild and renew the Catholic faith here in America. Okay, well today we continue our series, Rebuilding a Missional Church, and in our last, last broadcast, Peter and I shared what we believe is a critical truth about the Lord's purposes for His people. His heart is both to build and rebuild His church here on the earth. So last week we saw this constant theme in the Old Testament. We looked at several scriptures where the Lord promised to rebuild His people as well as their structures. And then we also spent some time discussing the book of Nehemiah. It's a wonderful book and gives us a picture of how God's people were called to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem after they had been destroyed by the Babylonians. Amen. And then we turned our attention to the New Testament in Matthew 16, where Jesus led his disciples to the area of Caesarea Philippi in northern Israel, which is about 25 miles from the northernmost part of the Sea of Galilee. Here is where Jesus revealed that he was going to build a new ecclesia, a new assembly, a new people. I compared Caesarea Philippi to a three-dimensional picture frame. As we studied the history and geography of this area and what Jesus did there, we gained several insights into this new assembly, the church that he was going to build. Now, Jesus led the disciples to the mountains of Caesarea Philippi and the pagan temple of Pan, where the gates of Hades spewed stream literally from the rocky cliffs. From this strategic location, Jesus declared the foundation of his church and declared that its formation would involve a battle within the gates of Hades opposing the gospel's advance. Every person must declare his allegiance to Jesus Christ or the gates of Hades. We also learned last week that Caesarea Philippi was like a modern-day resort that offered beauty, relaxation, and hedonistic pleasure. However, it was far removed theologically, morally, and socially from the strict Jewish culture of the disciples that they were used to. 
Now, Caesarea Philippi also had a dark side. It was a place of pagan worship and political power. The original name of the city was Peneus, in honor of Pan, the pagan god of shepherds and flocks. Now, Herod the Great built a temple here for Caesar worship. And after Herod's death in 4 BC, his son Philip renamed the city Caesarea Philippi. Archaeologists have also noted that there were about 14 different temples dedicated to different pagan gods in this area, and we also had the privilege to visit there on our pilgrimage to the Holy Land, didn't we, Peter? Yes, we did, Leslie. And like so many pagan gods, Pan was famous for his sexual exploits. The worshipers of fertility cults and agricultural gods engaged in sexual relations and temple prostitutes in his temple in a disgusting attempt to arouse divine power and blessing upon the crops or herds. It really was a place of perversion. The reason it's important to understand the history and geography of this area is because both the Church Fathers and most recently Pope Francis teach us that making the Holy Land known to us is actually a means of transmitting the fifth gospel. This is so true. Caesarea Philippi has great significance in the sacred scripture as it is the opposite place where people would have imagined Jesus would make such a great revelation of who he was and what he was going to do, that is, to build his church. In fact, it is believed he stood right in front of the cave that was thought to lead to Hades, where pagans would make sacrifices to Pan, amazingly, including sacrificing their sons and daughters. Now, there's two important things to note here, Leslie. First of all, Jesus reveals himself in a place that was known for pagan worshiping. It was the last place you could have found Jesus and his disciples, but it signified his reign and authority over other gods and shows that his father was the only one that deserves to be worshiped through him. And secondly then, Jesus' visit to Caesarea Philippi also signified his challenge to his disciples and Christians to confront evil and overcome it instead of hiding from it or even denying it. Well, last week after we recorded our broadcast, Peter and I definitely had some divine connections that confirmed to us that our present emphasis on rebuilding the missional church must indeed begin by looking at Caesarea Philippi. First, we not we had not looked ahead to the Sunday Mass readings, but the gospel that was proclaimed on Sunday were these very scriptures recounting Jesus and the disciples at Caesarea Philippi. Then in the Criterion, and that's the newspaper of the Archdiocese of Indianapolis, Archbishop Thompson points out these same scriptures, saying, Who do you say that I am is the question Jesus asks each one of us, and our answers determine both our relationship to him and our ability to follow him faithfully. And we were pointing that out last week, Leslie. I know. Then lastly, the pastor of our home parish, Father Richard Dorr of Our Lady of Mount Carmel, gave a wonderful homily on these same scriptures. He summed it up by asking the faithful, are you a fan of Jesus or a follower? Yeah, that was amazing. So this brings us to our final summation of this powerful scene in sacred scripture. Jesus took them to Caesarea Philippi, and he brought them to the place that symbolized paganism, idolatry, perversion, and even hell itself and its own kingdom. The question posed to the disciples in that place is also posed to each one of us. He asks each of us the same question, who do you say that I am? Now, each of us need to decide if we believe he is the Messiah, of course, 
the Son of God, and we need to make a personal, intimate, direct confession of just who Jesus is. This question must be answered the same exact way that our first pope, St. Peter, answered that question. Now, if the church is built or rebuilt on anything less than a direct, followed by a clear confession, we are not in the correct starting point for both building and rebuilding that Jesus talked about. In fact, Romans 10, 9 and 10 tells us that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and confess in our heart that he's raised from the dead, we shall be saved. Well, for the missional church, the rebuilt church, this should become the starting point for each of us. And in turn, we will become the foundation upon which all will join the rebuilding process and move from maintenance to mission as the Lord's church. Amen. Now, we're going to take a short break now. And when we return, we'll look at how St. Peter's confession leads us to the next step in the process of rebuilding. That is developing our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So please stay with us. You're listening to Go Rebuild My Church. This program is underwritten in part by Willie and Deborah Wood in memory of their parents, Woody and Joyce Wood, and Bill and Elsie Brooks. Catholic Radio Indy thanks the Wood family for their support. Have you ever thought about joining the Catholic Church? Have you just wanted to explore the Catholic faith? All you need to do is call your local Catholic Church for more information. We are always happy to help you in your journey to discover and learn more about the Catholic faith. We have classes that are almost year-round, and the classes and information sessions do not involve making a commitment, and there is no pressure to join. Please call your local Catholic parish for more information today and start the journey of one day possibly becoming Catholic as well. God bless. Welcome back to our radio program, Go Rebuild My Church. Today, we are continuing our series of broadcasts, Rebuilding a Missional Church. In our last segment, we discussed the scene at Caesarea Philippi where Jesus promised to build the church and how St. Peter's Confession becomes the model for all of us if we are indeed desiring to be a part of the Lord's plan. That plan is no less than rebuilding a missional church that mirrors the Lord's original design for the church. Now, Peter, if we're to model our confession after St. Peter, where will that lead each of us? Let's say, you know, really, if there's one phrase which can get Catholic social media arguments going, it is to have a personal relationship with Jesus. On one side, there are folks that argue it's a phrase stolen from evangelical Protestants as empty in its meaning. They might also charge that it shuns the communal aspect of Christianity. In fact, a few years ago, I heard a priest literally talk about the downside of talking in these terms. On the other side, some Catholics use it freely because they believe it identifies a missing piece of Catholicism, which you haven't emphasized enough in recent generations. As a matter of fact, when we interviewed Sherry Waddell a few weeks ago, she brought that point out to us. Well, I think many evangelical Christians may get the impression that being a Catholic is all about performing set rituals, observing church laws, holding certain doctrines. Perhaps this may be because some Catholics have given them this view of Catholicism. Yes, it may be true, but this is not what two of our most beloved popes have taught us. Here are some quotes from Pope St. John Paul II and Pope Benedict XVI showing that Catholic Christianity is a matter of personal, living relationship 
with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, a relationship that is meant to grow ever deeper. And to be deeply personal. Amen. First of all, the proclamation of the Word of God. Conversion means something by a personal decision, the saving sovereignty of Christ and becoming his disciple. That's Pope John Paul II in his encyclical letter, Mission of the Redeemer, Leslie. Pope Benedict said, Christian faith is not only a matter of believing that certain things are true, but above all, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Back to uh, Pope John Paul II. Sometimes even Catholics have lost or never had the chance, now listen to this, to experience Christ personally. Not Christ as a mere paradigm or value, but as a living Lord, the way, the truth, and the life. Pope Benedict XVI put it well in a 2008 audience, and he said, We are only Christians if we encounter Christ Of course, he does not show himself to us in this overwhelming, luminous way as he did to Paul to make him the apostle to all peoples, but we too can encounter Christ in reading sacred scripture, in prayer, in the liturgical life of the church. We can touch Christ's heart and feel him touching ours only in this personal relationship with Christ, only in this encounter with the risen one do we truly become Christians. There it is again, Peter. Yes, so we can see... From our modern saint, Pope St. John Paul II, and Pope Benedict XVI, that having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ is front and center in our Catholic thinking and experience. Well, Peter, I believe that in many ways we've neglected the personal response of faith in our modern Catholicism in the West, and that's why we're seeing some of this decline that we've been talking about. We cannot ignore that we need to emphasize the personal aspect. Is yes. that right? Sure. So if we're a Christian being called to have a close, intimate, and personal relationship with Jesus, many Catholics and other Christians for sure have merely an intellectual or a cultural connection to the faith. That's what Father Richard said when he meant, uh, are we a fan or are we a follower of Jesus Christ? They might say, yes, I believe Jesus is the Son of God, but they might have not intentionally chosen Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Well, what that means to me is you can intellectually know about Jesus, you can even feel good about Jesus, but that's not enough, right? Yeah, that's why we must personally choose Jesus in faith as an act of our will. We need to say yes to Jesus, just as Mary did. We call that the fiat, the yes. Once you do that, you need then to live this out in relationship with Jesus, which we're going to talk more about, Leslie, in our next segment. So not only do we find this call to personal relationship and intimacy with Jesus from Pope St. John Paul and Benedict XVI, but all of our saints throughout our history exude this truth. They lived a personal, intimate relationship with Jesus. So Peter, who are some of the saints that model this truth for us? And I know there's a lot of them. (laughs) Yes, Leslie, and it reminds me that in Dr. Ralph Martin's book, The Fulfillment of All Desire, that I've heard people across our Catholic faith say everybody should read this book. He spends time starting and stating insights from the mystical doctors of the church, specifically Bernard of Clairvaux, Catherine of Siena, Teresa of Avila, John of the Cross, Francis de Sales, and Teresa of Lisieux. 
the biblical worldview of these saints was rooted in having that personal relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. And here's just a small sample of what we mean by that. Let's start with St. Augustine. St. Augustine modeled a personal relationship with Jesus. Let's listen to what he says. He said, pour your heart out before him, praying, confessing, and hoping. Don't restrain your hearts inside your hearts. Rather, pour your hearts out before him. What you pour out is not lost, for he is my protector. Cast your care upon the Lord and hope in him. Pour out your hearts before him, God our helper. That's St. Augustine. You can just feel him talking implicitly about that personal relationship. Francis de Sales also expresses a deep personal relationship with Jesus. He says, but when you pray, let your words and affections, whether interior or exterior, all tend to love and trust in God. O God of mercy, most loving Lord, sweet Savior, Lord of my heart, my joy, my hope, my beloved, my bridegroom. You can see, hear his deep personal relationship with the Lord and, and just the love he's expressing. Yes, Leslie. Uh, St. Therese of Lisieux expresses a personal relationship with the Lord as well. She said, whosoever is a little one, let him come to me. She said, I felt I had found what I was looking for, but wanting to know, oh my God, what you would do to the very little one who answered your call. I continued my search, and this is what I discovered. As one whom a mother caresses, so I will comfort you. You shall be carried at the breast, and upon the knees they shall caress. She's quoting Isaiah 66. Well, often a personal relationship with Jesus is described as a friendship. And listen to what St. Alphonsus Liguori had to say. Right. He said, Acquire the habit of speaking to God as if you were alone with him, and with confidence and love as to the near, dearest and most loving of friends. Speak to him often of your business, your plans, your troubles, your fears, of everything that concerns you. Converse with him confidently and frankly, for God does not want to speak to a soul that does not speak to him. <laughs> Once again, there's that deep personal relationship. Yes. Now, please stay with us as we take another break. And when we return, we'll continue with our series, Rebuilding a Missional Church. You're listening to Go Rebuild My Church. This program is underwritten in part by Willie and Deborah Wood in memory of their parents, Woody and Joyce Wood, and Bill and Elsie Brooks. Catholic Radio Indy thanks the Wood family for their support. An interview with Father Trenton Rauch and his story on how Catholic Radio influenced his vocation. I was not struck uh, by lightning and knocked off my horse. I had a lot of time driving in the car listening to the radio, and I just got to a point where I would prefer to listen to something that would be in intellectually stimulating, and um, at the same time I was learning about the faith, particularly the apologetics. Catholic Radio. Building faith. Building vocations. Like coming up for air, like a time of rest after a big race, like a good meal after a long day. Jesus, what you need, just when you need him. Catholic Radio Indy. You're listening to the radio program, Go Rebuild My Church, and we're currently in a wonderful series of broadcasts called Rebuilding a Missional Church, and we're learning that the heart of God is to rebuild that which has fallen into ruin in our church. 
Our first Pope, St. Peter, led the way and laid the foundation, confessing that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. He shows us the path to Jesus, making a clear verbal and personal confession. That verbal confession then leads us to cultivate a personal relationship with the Lord. We can't stop there. And in this segment, we want to discuss how to cultivate that personal relationship with Jesus. So Peter, where do we begin? Yes, thanks, Leslie. The first step, the necessary step, and this is interesting, is to get alone with God. Now, Jesus is our example of this on how to have a personal relationship with God, and we're going to talk about that, just how that is. But the best way to learn about the value of solitude is from his life. The Bible records a number of times when Jesus separated himself from the people. And looking through these, we can see there are six different reasons why Jesus spent time alone. Well, again, the point we're trying to make is that Jesus is the model. And out of his humanity, we can learn how to have a personal relationship with our Lord. And Peter, this was a new insight for me personally. I had really not thought about looking at how Jesus related to his father and how that would help me develop my personal relationship with him. Yes, because every time Jesus goes out alone, he is nurturing his personal relationship to the father. There are examples of different situations where we should spend time alone to cultivate our personal relationship with the Lord as we see the times that Jesus does this very thing. Okay, Peter, well, take us through some of the scriptures. Okay, so first of all, uh, Jesus was alone to prepare for a major task, and we see this in Luke chapter 4 when Jesus went out to the wilderness. Remember, after he was baptized, he spent 40 days praying in the wilderness. And after this, he was tempted by Satan and then began his public ministry. As a matter of fact, Leslie, it says at the end of these 40 days when he came out of the wilderness, he came out in the power of the Holy Spirit. So this is the first occasion where we see Jesus focusing on spending time with the Lord so that the Lord could help him prepare for the tasks set before him. So this is what we can learn for this. We're not to be anxious about what uh, we're facing in our our major task, but we have to bring all this to the Lord in prayer, not to be anxious. Yes, very good. Secondly, to recharge after hard work. In Mark 6, 30, verses 32 Jesus has sent his disciples out to do ministry. Now, when they return, he encouraged them along with himself to separate from the people who are following them and to go out alone and to rest. So we can see that after we've labored in the Lord's vineyard, we should spend time alone with him to renew our strength and rest. And I thought about a good example here in my ministry as a mother I really needed time to be recharged and renewed. And my relationship with Jesus really did restore my soul after long, difficult days with children. Amen. The third time, Leslie, that's mentioned that Jesus went out to be alone with his father was to work through grief. This is in Matthew 14. After Jesus learned that his cousin John the Baptist had been beheaded, it says that he went away by himself. Yes, even the Son of God grieved. 
Well, even the New Testament speaks of us going to the Lord as our comforter. And during my darkest days of grief, when we lost our first child, Jesus was there and he did provide comfort and peace, eventually peace to me. And you found that with many times being alone with him, didn't you? That's correct. Uh, Fourthly, by making an important decision. In Luke 6, 12 and 13, and I've, I've really reflected on these verses for several years, Leslie. It's very interesting. But early on in his ministry, Jesus spent the whole night in prayer alone with his father. And then the next day, he chose his 12 disciples to become the apostles. Well, obviously, when we are getting ready to make a big decision, we need to use our reason and good judgment, but we also need to get alone with the Lord, spend time with him to get divine guidance. And it's, it's pretty easy. I mean, there's times like you're choosing a spouse, buying a house, selecting a college, applying for a new job, all of these times, get alone with the Lord and, and develop your personal relationship with him and seek his guidance. Yes. The fifth time that Jesus was alone was in Luke 22, and we're all familiar with this. Hours before Jesus was arrested, he went to the Mount of Olives, and he took a short distance away from his disciples to pray. He was in great emotional agony, knowing what he was about to face. Right. He spent time alone with the Lord. and. Let's just face it, life is difficult. We face many troubles that cause us emotional agony. And our personal relationship with Jesus is where we can find strength in the time of trouble. And Peter, you and I could not have survived without the Lord's help when we when we were dealing with our son and he was battling addictions at a very difficult period in our life. And he met us there. Yes, and the Lord was very faithful and caused that situation to work together for the good, where at times we thought it could never happen. Then finally, the sixth time that Jesus is seen focusing on his relationship with the Father is that he went out alone to pray. Many times in Jesus' ministry, as we see in Luke 5.16, he spent time alone in prayer. This is the capstone idea here today, Leslie. When we spend time alone with Jesus in prayer, we are developing our personal relationship with him, just as he did with his heavenly Father. Well, we want all of our listeners to carve out time to spend alone with the Lord Jesus. And so, Peter, could you pray for us and our listeners that we can continue to grow in our personal relationship with Jesus? Yes, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, we see today that your Son spent several times throughout his ministry alone with you, cultivating that relationship that he had with you from time immemorial. Yet even in a time-space world, he devoted in his ministry time to come apart to spend time with you. We pray that you would give us these same graces to come apart and spend time with you, to take that confession, just as St. Peter made, but to grow in it so that it becomes a vibrant, personal relationship with you, Father, and with your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray this in his powerful name, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you so much, listeners, for joining us today as we seek to connect individuals, families, and parishes to the rebuilding and renewal of the Catholic faith here in America. 
And make sure to become a regular listener of Catholic Radio Indy. Goodbye for now, and keep the faith. You've been listening to Go Rebuild My Church with Peter Doan. Podcasts of this program are available at www.catholicradioindy.org. You can hear the Holy Mass every day at 8 a.m. right here on Catholic Radio Indy, 